This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Deacon Matt Woodley. So about a year ago, I set on a course that's going very slowly. I set a goal for myself. I wanted to start reading the world's great works of literature. So I Googled some things, top 100 novels of all time, top 100 things you should read before you die, all that kind of thing. So thanks to Catherine Ruck, I got going on Dickens. I read Charles Dickens, the great British writer. He's pretty good. Um, No, he's amazing. And I read Solzhenitsyn, the great 20th century Russian novelist. I read Dante, The Inferno. I'm going slow, five to 10 pages a night. It's amazing how much you can read in five to 10 pages a night, though. So I'm working my way through the list. And I also decided to read some things I've read earlier in my life. So I read another great work of literature, Horton Hears a Who by Dr. Seuss. This gripping tale, inspired by true events, because there is such a thing as elephants, so it's inspired by true events. It focuses on a hero named Horton. And Horton hears a, uh, a yelp for help one day in the jungle of Newell, in the cool of the day by the pool. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it continues on like that. Um, And he actually finds this whole village called Whoville. And he wants to save this village. They're in peril. And there are villains in this story. There's a sour kangaroo. There's some evil monkeys. There's an eagle. And all of these people think that Horton is crazy. But he's got to save this village. He has to respond to this yelp for help because he says, after all, a person's a person no matter how small. And that becomes sort of the theme of the book. Now, I don't know if Dr. Seuss read the Gospels, but that's a really good summary of what Jesus said in our Gospel reading. A person's a person no matter how small. Three times in this passage that you heard read in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, words of Jesus, he uses the word little ones. And it's actually in the original language that the Bible was written in. The Bible was originally written in an older form of Greek. The word is microi, from which we got our word microscope. It's something, it refers to small things, things that are hard to see. So the little ones are anyone or any person that are small, that are little. Now, they could be little in terms of their spiritual stature. They could be people that just are far from faith in Jesus. They could be people who are economically or powerless, economically little or powerless, people that are vulnerable. Let me give you some examples. Refugees can be little people. The unjustly imprisoned can be little ones. The justly imprisoned can be little ones. Children with disabilities, the unborn, people that have been trafficked for either labor or uh, purposes of exploitation are little ones. One New Testament scholar says that in these verses of Jesus, the little ones are any who find themselves on the human scrap heap that our world throws people on when it can't think of what else to do with them. 
the scrap heap that we throw people on when we don't know what to do with them. And in this passage, Jesus says, I want you to welcome and I want you to protect my little ones. I want you to reorient your whole life so that you can welcome and protect my little ones. Now, on the one hand, it kind of appeals to us. We, we love justice. We want to be on the right side of justice. We don't want to be exploiters. We don't want to oppress people. Most of us don't. But on the other hand, we have this conflict because we're really enamored by power and privilege and comfort. We want to be around powerful people. We want to be powerful. You know, every year, Forbes magazine comes out with uh, two lists, a number of lists, but two of their lists are their top 100 celebrities list, and then the other one is their top 100 most powerful people in the world. And I read both lists, and none of you are on either list, just so you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe I, I didn't read down number 100, but I wasn't on it either. I'll tell you some of the people that were, Vladimir Putin, Jeff Bezos, the uh, founder, CEO of Amazon, Bill Gates. The top 100 celebrities had Floyd Merriweather, the boxer, George Clooney, Kylie Jenner jumped to number three last year. These are the top people. These are what we might call big people, important people. Now, we may not necessarily want to be like them, but don't we want a little specialness? I mean, we want everybody to be special, but I want to be more special than everybody else who's special. We want to be uber special. Jesus says, you have to change. You have to let me change that orientation that we all have towards power, towards privilege, towards comfort. So the disciples at the very beginning of this passage, these are Jesus' followers. These are the people that believe in him. There's a lot of people that don't believe in him at this time when this gospel story was written, but these are the people that believe in him. And they come to him and they say, hey, Jesus, we got a question for you, a really important question, really urgent. We want to know who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to be on your top 100 list? And are we in? Are we in the top 10? How about the top three? How about the top two? Can we sit on your right hand and left hand? Who is the greatest? Remember, these are his followers. And Jesus says, ah, oy vey. Or as we say in Minnesota, oofta. This is just so wrong. He says, and so he takes a little child, brings the little child, and says, you have to be like this little child. And he says this. Here's his exact words. Truly I say to you, truly I say to you unless you turn, unless you repent is the biblical word, which just means you're going the wrong direction, and oh my gosh, why am I going this way? How did I get here? I, wanna, I need to turn. I need to go a different way. That's the thing I love about Jesus. He loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay where we are. So he says, turn and become, humble yourself like this child, then you'll be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because if you're humble like this child, you won't care about the top 100 list. You'll have a whole different way of life. And then he goes on to say, 
welcome. Welcome and protect my little ones. First word, welcome, in verse 5, he says, whoever receives one child in my name receives me. The word for receive is the word for a warm welcome. Think about, I don't know if you had any company come, or maybe you were the company that came, and think of somebody that really embraced you, that welcomed you, or think of somebody that, that you hosted recently, that you had to your house, or maybe you met them for dinner, and, and you really wanted to be with this person. You warmly received them. You welcomed them. That's what Jesus is talking about here. I want you to welcome the little ones, those people that easily get thrown on the human scrap heap. Those are the people I want you to go after and welcome. The micro people. Later in this same Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells a longer story in which he lists specific kinds of micro people. And then he says, whenever you did something to them, out of compassion and kindness, I'm so closely identified with them, it's like you did it to me. That's in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus has a heart for these micro people. What does it look like? Well, let me give you an example. Um, and first of all, let me just say this. That some of the people Jesus is talking about with these micro people, some of them are his followers, I believe. And he's, Jesus is very specific about that because he says, whoever believes, uh, or whoever, whoever believes or receives one such child in my name receives me. Those little ones who believe in me, he talks about. So he's talking about believers. He's talking about people that follow Jesus. But I think there's also a broader application throughout the whole Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is talking about anyone who is a little person. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. Friday night, I walk into this church building. I don't know if you know this, but once a month on Friday night, this entire building is filled. Like there's no room left. It's filled with replanted people. Replanted is a ministry started from a woman in our church, led by people in our church and other churches as well, that ministers to parents and to families that have adopted children or who are in foster care. And many of these children are people that could have been little ones thrown on the human scrap heap, but they've been adopted. They've been given a home. They've been loved. So once a month, every Friday night, we have 100 adults here, 150 kids, and about 50 volunteers. I came in Friday night, and the, this place was just electric, buzzing with love and energy and hope. I love that. That's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about welcome the little ones in my name. The second thing he says is protect the little ones. Fight for the little ones. Look at what Jesus said in verses 6 and 7. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin or to literally to stumble, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptations come. It's a twofold woe. It's kind of a general woe and there's a specific woe. General woe for, man, all of us for me, when we allow this to happen. 
But then there's a specific woe for perpetrators of the evil, of the harm to his little ones. So Jesus, so compassionate, so tender, so loving, he's pretty fierce here. He's pretty fierce. You don't want to mess with my little ones, he says. In verse 10, he continues in that vein. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Don't look down on them. Don't degrade them. Don't mock them. Don't ignore them. He says, for I tell you in heaven, see, it's different than heaven. On earth, these little ones get despised. They get ignored. They get neglected. But he said, that doesn't happen in heaven. In heaven, I tell you in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So who gets the bodyguards? The angelic bodyguards that Jesus is talking about here? It's not necessarily the top 100, although they could have one if they ask for it. It's available to them as well. Jesus says it's for the little ones. They are the ones who are protected by the angels who see my Father's face. Now, let me just add that the same Jesus who said these stinging words, it would be better for a millstone to hang around their neck, also said this, and I love these verses. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You don't have to wear a millstone of judgment. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you've been wearing a millstone, a millstone of oppressing others, a millstone of hurting others, a millstone of living under the condemnation of that, today could be a day to repent, could be a day to turn, could be a day to take upon yourself instead of the millstone, the yoke of Jesus who leads us into freedom and into forgiveness. But it starts with us turning. So when we think of these micro people, I listed a bunch of them. Um, at Church of the Resurrection, we make, a really, we make a big deal about a lot of them, but we make a really big deal about one category of people, the unborn children. And you may wonder, why do we do that? Why is that such a big deal? Well, it's not because the other classifications of micro people are unimportant. Not that at all. But we make a big deal about unborn children because three reasons. One, because our scripture tells us, as we read in the Psalms, you and I, when we were formed in the womb, God was, God was there. God was watching over us. God was shaping us. Every unborn child is being shaped by the living God. Secondly, because unborn children are really little. If you want to rank the little people, they're up at the littlest of the little. They're physically little. They're economically little. They're politically little. They're socially little. They don't vote. They don't hire lobbyists. They don't contribute to the gross domestic product. They don't give speeches. They don't organize rallies. They don't win awards. They are notoriously inefficient. And yet Jesus says, these are the little ones. These are some of the little ones that I love. 
So first reason, the Bible tells us. Second reason, they're really little. Third reason, they're not protected. We haven't agreed as a society whether they should be protected or not. It's a big debate. Half the country thinks they should. Half the country thinks they shouldn't. Some people, even then they should be protected, are kind of queasy about it, think it's just a political issue. It's a tough emotional issue for a lot of people. The reason is because we're not really sure if they belong to us. We're not really sure if they're part of us. See, here's what's happened in our culture. Almost everybody agrees, no matter what your politics are, everybody agrees that an unborn child is a human. It's not another species. It's a human being. And most people would say that that started at conception. Everything that makes you, you, started at conception. Nothing is added after that point. No genetic material is added. You are you from the moment of conception. But here's what's happened in our culture. So you can be human, but you cannot be a person. You see, being human and being a person have become split. So they're two different things now. So for instance, Princeton ethicist, an actually really brilliant guy, said that human life begins at conception. But the life of a person starts at a different point, like up to a year or maybe even three years after that human is born. Another ethicist, ethicist says that a person is a creature valuing its own existence. So it's like there's two stories to a house. There's the lower level where the humans are, and then there's the upper level where the persons are. And you've got to do something to get from floor one to floor two. You have to prove yourself. You have to achieve something. You have to win something. But if you're a person, you have to value your own existence, that excludes a lot of people. That could exclude me at some point in my life. That could exclude you. Well, all of us were excluded at one point in our life. It could exclude you as you age. It could exclude you for a lot of reasons. It could exclude you because you come from the wrong country or the wrong race. This is the history of our world. This is what we have done. It's subjective and arbitrary and exclusive. And who gets to decide? The people with the most power. To be pro-little ones means that we collapse the floors. There's only one floor. There's only one level. If you're human, you're in. You're a person. They're not separated. It's marvelously inclusive, not exclusive. That's the power of being pro-little ones. Now, it's easy to say, yeah, I'm pro-little one. But it's quite another thing to walk the road that actually leads to there. That's what Jesus is getting at in this little parable he tells. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? 
had a political science professor at Wheaton tell me after the first service he came out and said, that is an economically irrational decision to leave the 99 and go after the one, which is the point of the parable. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should not perish. Again, people are whole persons. They're spiritual beings. They have spiritual needs. People are also physical beings. Jesus is looking at the whole person. He's not separating and dividing them. He's speaking about the whole person, ministering the whole person of what it means to be a little one. He says, it is going to cost you. If you want to be pro-little ones, it's going to cost you. There is a price to pay. Follow me, Jesus says, and I might lead you away from the 99, and I might lead you to some dangerous places. I might lead you to some uncomfortable places. I might lead you to some things and relationships and some situations that might break your heart, it might make you weep. Or you can take your heart and you can put it in a little box and you can keep it safe and you can protect it, make sure you never get hurt, make sure your heart never gets broken, make sure you never weep, make sure you never see the world's pain. Or Jesus says, you can follow me and I will bring you to places of pain, but I also give you outrageous joy. I will give you peace that passes understanding. I will make your heart more alive than you ever imagined. Let me just say, that'll take a miracle. That takes a miracle for me. I'm not really all that enamored with the top 100 people. That doesn't really excite me, but I want what they have. I want power, I want privilege, I want comfort, I want all of that. And to a certain degree, that's not all bad. But I'm not in tune with Jesus, all left to myself. I don't really care, left to myself. I need a miracle. We need a miracle. And that's why Jesus said, let me convert you. Let me make you like a little child. Let me help you become born again. Let me forgive you. Let me help you have a new start. Let me fill you with my spirit. If there's a time in your life, it's like, wow, I just need a new start. I need a reset. Here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus can do that for you. No matter where you've been or what you've done, he can help you with that. He says, let me make you, Jesus says, let me make you new. Let me fill you with my spirit. And you may not change the whole world, but you can do it for one. Let me walk with you in your life. And together, let me help you see the little ones. Let me help you love the little ones. So when it comes to love, go little, go small. What does that look like when a church starts to do that? Because we don't always do it perfectly. Sometimes we get it right. Bethany Gates is a young woman in our church who's been here for a long time. And she was sharing this story with me a couple weeks ago, and I said, Bethany, would you share that with us? 
And she said, yes, eventually, right? So, um, Bethany, just share with us how you and how the church went little in love. Crouched on the tile floor of a villa overlooking the Gulf of Thailand, I prayed with tears streaming down my face. Lord, if there is any way, I can't be pregnant. I, I hate praying this, but I am so scared, terrified. Pregnant? Please help me. I wouldn't be the overjoyed wife telling her husband, surprising the grandparents, posting a Pinterest baby announcement. I would be the shadowed joy, needing explanations, apologies, and the bittersweet reality that this was not how I wanted to become a mother. I cried to a friend, I love my baby, but I don't want to be pregnant. Not now, not this way. Not only was I going to face the shame and failure of having been a Christian my whole life, having grown up in a Christian home and knowing better, but I was going to enter a marathon of relocating to the U.S. from living overseas, moving from my teaching post in West Africa to finding a job, apartment, car, and prenatal care alone. My mother died in 2009 from breast cancer. I had no home. Where could I go? I went to the church, to this church. My beloved resurrection, the church that had seen me through a handful of tragedies in my 20s. I found out I was carrying my son after visiting a dirty ramshackle clinic on the beautiful tiny island of Koh Tao. Immediately, I called the father. He made it clear he was out of the picture and wanted me to terminate. Get your life back on track. This isn't the plan. It's nothing right now. I thought for a few seconds about abortion. I was waiting in the warm, salty water on the beach, watching the sun hover. I felt this deep knot within. I knew I couldn't live with myself if I terminated. I saw Jesus and this church. Resurrection would want my baby, even if the father did not. Abortion was not an option. I'm a mother, I explained on the phone. I'm a mother now, no matter the size and function of it. I am forever a mother. I returned to the Lord more than I ever had. This turn overhauled my life. I saw Mary, the mother of our Lord, and Jesus. They were with me. By God's grace, I had planned a trip to Phnom Penh. My dear friends, Heidi and Gregory Whitaker, were serving there at Church of Christ Our Peace. With shaky hands, I emailed Heidi. Can I come sooner than planned? feel like a massive failure at Christianity. I am pregnant. Her response, love you, Bethany. Open arms, open hearts for you and your baby. 
Over dinner, I cried to Father Gregory and Heidi. I know better. I am so ashamed. I can do better. Father Gregory leaned over and said, We all know better. We can all do better. I can't imagine the choices I'd make if I didn't have the church. They reminded me that no sin, no shame is too great for Jesus to forgive. When I returned to this church, people welcomed me with open arms, much like the parable of the prodigal son. Gabi Rezik offered to be my doula as a gift, walked with me through a 36-hour labor, and then continued to support me daily. I can't imagine my motherhood without her. Mindy and Anna Pop helped me every week with childcare, and they still do. My son, Benjamin Stephen, is turning a delightful two years old, February 16. And I am overwhelmed at the support and love, the family we have in this church. Thank you, Resurrection. Being truly pro-life is more than getting the pregnant mother to not abort, though that is essential. It's coming alongside her as she raises this child alone. Pray for eyes to see and opportunities to bless single mothers. It's not complicated. It can be very simple. And if you know women that have aborted, or if you are one, Jesus wraps his arms of love around you, even you. There is no sin or shame too great for him. We could all do better. Just come. Come to him and receive forgiveness and new life. This church can love you and walk with you. If you hear anything from my story, please hear that Jesus loves you and desires to be with you more than any of us realize, and that he is inviting all of us into radical intimacy that no matter where you find yourself, Jesus is waiting for you. Thank you. Thanks, Bethany. Let me just pray. Lord, we just thank you for this story. It's um, redemptive. Thank you for the people that were here for her. Lord, we also pray for people that um, may not have any resources, that may not have a place to turn. Uh, maybe it's struggling with uh, uh, an unplanned pregnancy. Maybe it's other issues in their life, Lord. Um, maybe it's grinding poverty. Maybe it's uh, addiction. Maybe it's God, um, people that have a lot of resources but um, don't know how to use them. Lord, I just pray for your spirit to come. Renew us as a church. Turn us outward. Give us your heart of love for the little ones that are on your heart. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.